Welcome to the Journal of Community and Supportive Oncology podcast for the March-April 2017 issue. I'm Dr. David Henry. This month we have an editorial about Obamacare and appealing or replacing it. Rusaparib is the second PARP inhibitor to be approved for ovarian cancer, and we will discuss its details. Daratumumab has expanded its approval for myeloma. In our How We Do It section, we discuss stress management in cancer patients in Puerto Rico. We review the prevention and treatment options for mTOR inhibitor-associated stomatitis. APF530 is a new subcutaneous form of granicetan for nausea and vomiting following cisplatin chemotherapy. Patterns of care regarding whole brain radiation therapy technique and delivery among academic centers in the U.S. Emergency department use by recently diagnosed cancer patients in California. We have case reports of pulmonary sarcomatoid carcinoma presenting as a necrotizing cavitary lung lesion, a case report of exacerbation of psoriasis after nivolumab therapy for lung cancer, a case report of an unusual primary prosthetic valve-associated lymphoma, and a case report of atraumatic splenic rupture as an initial presentation of chronic myelogenous leukemia. We feature a scientific review of bench-to-bedside entitled Meeting the Potential for Immunotherapy, New Targets Provide Rational Combination, and a letter to the editor about toxic abandonment, a case for non-participation in physician-assisted suicide. So let's begin. The editorial this month is entitled Repeal and Replace. How about Retain, Review, and Refine? The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also called the PPACA, also known as Obamacare, was signed into law in March 2010. Though admittedly imperfect, it certainly did a few good things. It expanded access to care to some 30 million more Americans. This was accomplished by expanding Medicaid, enhancing consumer protections in the private health insurance market, requiring large employers to offer insurance or pay a fine, giving tax credits to increase affordability of insurance for small businesses, creating state-based competitive marketplaces and requiring individuals to purchase health insurance plans, the so-called insurance mandate, thereby creating a pool of large numbers of healthy people to help pay for this act. Furthermore, the law guaranteed insurability, despite pre-existing conditions, and a provision for preventive care services that would be covered. And finally, it slowly tried to develop a change in our fee-for-service insurance system, which incentivizes quantity, so rather incentivize high-quality outcomes-based care instead. Clearly, any such sweeping change would have its speed bumps and difficulties with implementation, and the Obamacare Act was no exception. However, the case could be made that the Republican approach to simply reject Obamacare and replace it with a different act might be just as imperfect. Why not take all of the good in this first attempt and simply refine it and expand it? And so let's see and hope what happens. In our community translation section, Rusaparib, a second PARP inhibitor, hits the market for ovarian cancer. Two phase two trials led to its approval for BRCA1 and 2 mutant advanced ovarian cancer patients. Study so-called number 10 had 42 patients and the aerial trial 2, 64 patients. Both these trials show better than half of their patients had partial to complete tumor shrinkage after at least two or more previous therapies. Most common adverse events were nausea, fatigue, vomiting, and anemia. The recommended dose is 600 milligrams orally twice a day. Prescribers are alerted, however, that there is a small risk for MDS or AML and for embryo-fetal toxicity. They recommend CBCs be monitored monthly. 
expanded approval for daratumumab in multiple myeloma. In November 2016, daratumumab was approved for multiple myeloma. This antibody targets the CD38 protein highly expressed in myeloma cells. Initially approved for those patients who had received at least three previous therapies, this new approval allows for just only one previous line of treatment and suggests patients should then consider daratumumab with one of two backbones, either lenalidomide dexamethasone or bortezomib dexamethasone. The Pollux, P-O-L-L-U-X trial of 569 patients and the Castor, C-A-S-T-O-R trial of 498 patients were two randomized open-label phase three trials which had similar conclusions. Pollux trial incorporating daratumumab into the lenalidomide dexamethasone backbone had a progression-free survival not yet reached versus 18.4 months for the control arm. Likewise, the Castor trial, 498 patients, had a progression-free survival also not reached versus 7.2 for the control arm. Most frequently reported adverse events were the initial infusion reaction, diarrhea, and upper respiratory tract infection. Also, neutropenia, thrombocytopenia, and anemia were seen. The drug is administered 16 mg per kilogram intravenously weekly for the first eight weeks. Some physicians have found that splitting the dose into two days instead of one might be easier on the patient regarding time and infusion reaction. And in the meantime, investigation is ongoing to evaluate subcutaneous injection instead of intravenous injection. Distress management in cancer patients in Puerto Rico by Dr. Ramirez Sola from the San Pablo Oncology Hospital in Caguas, Puerto Rico. A comprehensive patient-centered approach to accomplish standard of care is always best. Accordingly, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, or the NCCN, recommends an appraisal of physical, social, emotional, spiritual issues screening in every one of our cancer patients looking for so-called distress. This article presents the process of implementing such a distress management program. The author suggests three phases to implementation, the input, throughput, and output phase. In the input phase, the most important is evaluation of psychosocial, the whole patient care plan, distress, interdisciplinary team, and care coordination. The throughput phase coordinates these five concepts, and then finally the output phase evaluates the success of that program in each patient or the program in general. This article is a very useful and user-friendly stress evaluation form in Figure 1, using some 22 items in the Beck Depression Inventory, and also as a 0 to 10 distress, distress scale. You can download and use this table by visiting our website, jcso-online.com. Prevention and Treatment Options for mTOR Inhibitor-Associated Stomatitis by Kelly Stavis and Kavitha Ramchandran from the Division of Oncology, Stanford University in California. Inhibitors of the mammalian target of rapamycin, or the so-called mTOR, are approved for renal cell, carcinoma, neuroendocrine tumors, and breast cancer. However, many patients will develop stomatitis and a minority of these will develop severe stomatitis requiring significant management issues. Three major approaches to mTOR stomatitis would be prevention, early aggressive treatment, and when needed, aggressive pain management. The authors reviewed 79 articles addressing these problems. They found the pathophysiology of mTOR stomatitis is really not well understood. Their review found that while studies are still ongoing in a randomized controlled fashion, the use of steroid-based mouthwashes or mucoadhesive oral rinses can be very helpful. Another treatment under evaluation is glutamine suspension mouthwash. The authors include an excellent table number three on preventive care in their article. 
treatment of early stomatitis, and pain management of severe stomatitis. And you can view and clip this table from our website, once again, jcso-online.com. Next, APF 530 for nausea and vomiting prevention following cisplatin therapy phase 3 magic trial analysis by Dr. Lee Schwartzberg and colleagues from the West Cancer Center in Germantown, Tennessee. APF 530 is an approved chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting prevention medication occurred in 2016. It is actually a formulation of granisetron administered subcutaneously. This study teases out the cisplatin stratum of patients numbering 264 from the phase 3 MAGIC trial. Patients received either APF 530, 500 milligrams subcutaneously, or ondansetron, 0.15 milligram per kilogram IV. Both arms then received fosamprepitant, 150 milligram IV, and IV dexamethasone, 12 milligram. The numerical prevention of delayed nausea and vomiting was actually slightly better in the APF 530 arm, but not statistically significantly different. The authors conclude that APF 530 showed significant clinical benefit in chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting prevention and offer another option for patients receiving cisplatin-based regimens. Patterns of care with regard to whole brain radiotherapy technique and delivery among academic centers in the United States by Dr. Parul Barry and colleagues from the Radiation Oncology Department, University of Louisville, Kentucky. The authors evaluated whether practice patterns for whole brain radiation therapy for brain metastases vary by physician radiation therapist. A survey with some 19 questions was offered, and the authors received 95 responses back. They looked to see if patterns were different in the younger versus the more senior clinician. In fact, they found the majority of responders were in practice less than five years. The most frequently used schema for whole brain radiation therapy was 30 gray and 10 fractions. For radio-resistant tumors, those in practice longer were more likely to use stereotactic radiation, while younger practitioners preferred the status of extracranial disease before deciding on stereotactic radiation therapy alone as being more important. With regard to radiation, older practitioners placed more importance on tumor histology. The study revealed interesting practice pattern differences between younger and older radiation therapists in treating these brain metastases, demonstrating older practitioners place more importance on tumor histology when considering brain irradiation. Emergency department use by recently diagnosed cancer patients in California by Dr. Rebecca Lash and colleagues from the University of California, Davis, in Sacramento. Few studies have described the incidence of emergency department use by recently diagnosed cancer patients in a population-based sample, and no study has addressed cancer type. The others evaluated the emergency department, or ED use, in the year after cancer diagnosis 2009-2010. They found most ED visits, 68%, occur within 100 days of diagnosis. The incidence of ED use for all cancer types was 17% for the first 30 days, 35% within 180 days, and 44% within 365 days of diagnosis. Most frequent cancer types leading to ED use were lung, breast, and colon cancers. The authors concluded that the cancer patients use the emergency room at higher rates than previously thought, and there is considerable variability by cancer type. They suggest future research should take this into account in an attempt to address the needs of those more frequent ED users in their follow-on care and in their diagnosis. We have several interesting case reports in this issue. Pulmonary sarcomatoid carcinoma presenting as a necrotizing cavitary lung lesion. Palmer plantar exacerbation of psoriasis after nivolumab therapy for lung cancer, 
an unusual case of primary cardiac prosthetic valve-associated lymphoma, and a traumatic splenic rupture as an initial presentation of chronic myelitis leukemia. Meeting the potential of immunotherapy, new targets provide rational combinations by Dr. Jane Delartigue. Utilizing the patient's autoimmune system to fight cancers has been the goal of cancer research for some time. With the arrival of the checkpoint inhibitors, like CTLA-4, PD, PD-1 ligand, this approach has finally reached reality and approval. Dr. Delartigue begins by exploring nature's weapons of mass destruction, as she calls it, marshalling the T-cells to recognize and attack the foreign antigens of the cancer cell. Once activated, the treatments CTLA-4 or PD-1 may release the breaks and accelerate the recognition by the immune system of the offending tumor antigens. This is most successful when a perfect storm occurs in and around the tumor. In other words, the tumor must be highly heterogeneous antigenically to provide more targets. Tumor infiltrating lymphocytes or TIL cells must be readily available in the tumor. Then, of course, the checkpoint inhibitor unblocks the blocked TIL cells and they attack. The issue of combining immunotherapy is addressed, which thus far has included vaccines, checkpoint inhibitors, TREG or Treg cells, VEGF inhibition, CAR T cells, and the tumor cell killing drugs. A work in progress and very exciting, but stay tuned. We conclude this month with a letter to the editor entitled Toxic Abandonment, a case for non-participation in physician-assisted suicide. In our last issue, January, February 2017, our editor, Dr. Thomas Strauss, wrote in his editorial of being in favor of physician aid in terminal care and dying for a patient and how not participating actively in this final process was a form of toxic abandonment. Dr. Alva Weir from the West Cancer Center in Memphis writes a counterpoint to this position. Dr. Weir proposes that we need to forever and always do no harm and that active participation in patient dying violates that oath. A nice series of point-counterpoints by Dr. Weir and Dr. Strauss discuss this extremely important and frequently faced issue for those of us in oncology who deal with the terminally ill and dying patient. I encourage you to read this point-counterpoint discussion as it looks at both sides of the issue and can help you decide where you should be as an individual practitioner. And that concludes this March-April 2017 issue of the Journal of Community and Supportive Oncology, the JCSO. We welcome your comments and suggestions, so please visit us at our website, jcso-online.com, where you can view this issue and search previous issues. Furthermore, given the proliferation of social media, you can follow us on Twitter at jcs underscore onc, O-N-C, or me, you can follow me at David Henry MD. You can also download our digital edition by visiting our website and downloading the app on your mobile device. Actually quite good and will appear each month giving you the digital edition. And thanks for listening this month. <laughs>